Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Mornings with Carmen on this Wednesday, March the 10th. The World Health Organization is going to meet today to discuss waiving intellectual property rights on all COVID-19 vaccines to remove the legal legal barriers that exist for production of those vaccines by other countries. Um, So you've certainly noticed that the vaccines bear the names of the companies who developed them, Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, on and on. The list is impressive, Uh, The list is also um, overwhelmingly representative of what's happening in richer nations. So richer nations can afford to be first in line to buy vaccines from manufacturers uh, and are therefore administering them at the rate of about globally one per second. So one per second uh, vaccines going into arms around the world, but overwhelmingly in richer nations. Most of the poorest nations of the world have not yet gotten a single shot. So that leads to a debate that we pointed to um, even months ago in uh, in the vaccine development stage. It's a conversation about ethics and access and free markets. You are also going to see it become a conversation about capitalism and socialism. All of it. It's all wound up in what is happening today at the World Health Organization. What would it look like for an organization like the WHO to waive intellectual property rights on a drug? that was developed by a private company, yes, funded um, in large measure by the government and other donors, um, but what would it look like for the World Health Organization to waive intellectual property rights on COVID-19 vaccines? Uh, That's going to be a very interesting conversation. Do they even have the authority and right to do that? All right, the $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package uh, is now a thing. Um, It's expected to be uh, passed today by the U.S. House. It's going to go to the president um, for his signature. You can expect a media blitz um, to, you know, sell all of us on the benefits of the bill. And, yeah, there are some great things in it, but there's also uh, an awful lot of pork. You're going to hear progressive Democrats continue to be disappointed that it does not include a $15 minimum wage. Um, But the bill is huge. And so we will take some time over the course of days and weeks and months to unpack it. In some other economic news, the House has passed the so-called PRO Act, P-R-O is what you're looking for if you want to look this up, the PRO Act. And it's a bill that encourages unions and enhances the power of workers to organize and collectively bargain for wages and benefits. Now, I am guessing that even if you didn't know any of that economic news, you have noticed the rising price of gas. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it took like 75 bucks to fill up my tank the other day, and I, I my jaw dropped because I was remembering, you know, that it it cost like 40 just a few weeks ago. Um, so um, that's going on. You may have also noticed the rising price of lumber. It's 112% uh, year over year. The cost of lumber 
112% increase year over year. That has uh, elevated the cost of building everything, not least of which uh, single-family homes. Um, so uh, the ri- have you noticed the rising price of, and then you could just fill in the blank. So the pandemic and recent cold weather is driving some of that, but um, it's also being driven by something called inflation. And so we're going to talk with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com about inflation. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Good father, it's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. All right, joining me now, Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Welcome back, friend. Hey, good to hear your voice. I miss talking hey, with you. Did um oh did um oh. am I sending people to the right website or did the website change? I don't did know. The website you, change. Oh, Bible and it business. It should be Bible and business. I'm clicking. I know. I'm clicking on it. I couldn't. I couldn't. I, I. You know me. I'm like, unless I actually go there and look for myself. Okay, there we go. Connecting faith to business ownership. Bibleandbusiness.com. Still the place to find uh, Bill English. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so good. Okay. Um, I know that this is pedantic for you, but can we uh, talk about inflation? And yes. maybe I could be like a third grader. So you're talking to, I don't know, or a fifth grader, whatever. But I'm, I'm young. I've never heard of it. I don't understand it. What is inflation? Inflation is where you have to pay more dollars for the same goods or services that you have been buying in the past. So inflation, to use a, a simple illustration, you go to McDonald's, you buy a hamburger for a dollar, let's say. Um, and that's today. Tomorrow, you have to pay a dollar ten. That ten cents is an inflation. It's a rise in the pricing for goods and services. And sometimes businesses just like suck that up for a while, um, so that they don't have to pass along um, their increased cost of production or distribution or whatever, or you know, employee cost. You know, they they figure out how to suck that up, but. Um, when we when we start to see real rising prices, we have reached the point where either producers, manufacturers, distributors, you know, the the, the companies can no longer afford to absorb it, and they then begin passing those costs along to us. Is that um, is that fair as well? It is fair. Yeah, uh, the the competitive nature of our economy forces companies to price things at a, at a rate that they can stay competitive. And if you have multiple businesses competing for the same customers, their pricing, that competition in and of itself is going to keep pricing down. But when the environment for all of those producers of the products and services, when that environment go caught costs more to them to produce the product or service, yeah, then prices are going to go up. They will pass that along to consumers. And the reason for that is because eventually they are not going to continue to do that work if they can't make a certain amount of profit on that work or that product. Right. Um, Because they're not, they're not charities. They're not, they're not, you know, they're in business for a reason. Okay. Talk with us about sort of how we got here. Um, and then, you know, the the addition of another one point nine trillion dollars to the problem. I recognize that, you know, it's designed to be the solution to one set of problems, but it is only exacerbating another problem. 
Because so typical of government, if whenever they say yes to one group, they say no to something else. Whenever they, whenever they do good in one area, they end up creating unintended, <clears throat> excuse me, unintended negative consequences in another area. Uh, Look, it's impossible to say how much inflation we're going to see, but the reality is that we are probably going to see some inflation this year. The inflation talk is certainly out there now. Uh, what we have is a decrease in demand for goods and services, and we've had that throughout the COVID period, and a decreased supply. And and yet the money supply has been increasing, and I've been surprised that that, that has not led to inflation. But one of the other things you have to have uh, in order to have inflation is not just the prices going up, but the dollars have to have some velocity moving through the economic system. I think as we come out of this recession, and recession is probably not the right word, but out of this pandemic is what I meant to say. As we come out of that, we're going to see more velocity on the dollars. We have four and a half trillion more dollars in the economy today than we had uh, in January of 2020. So in January of 2020, we had roughly uh, $15.4 trillion uh, in our economy. Today, we, we're going to have close to $20 trillion or over $20 trillion after this uh, $1.9 trillion rescue plan is passed. And, and as, the, as COVID or as the pandemic ends, the dollars are going to see velocity come in. We're going to see prices go up because the demand is not going to be instantaneous uh, for these um, for these goods and services. It's just a matter of time before it goes up. And when it does go up, by the way, the Federal Reserve is going to have to raise their interest rates to try to tap down the inflation. And when they do that, those who are on variable interest rate loans, they're going to see their payments go up, and especially the federal government will see uh, their, their interest payments go up as well. And when the did federal government, that, yeah, that yeah, sense? no, okay. I, it totally makes sense. I mean, it's, there is more money in the economy, but it's not moving around. So when you say the word Correct. velocity, you're talking about the number of times that the same dollar changes hands. Correct. Okay. So there's a lot more money in uh, sitting around the monopoly board, but it's not being passed hand to hand as fast as maybe it would be if people were out there doing stuff. So once people are out there doing stuff again, that money is going to be changing hands more frequently. That's the velocity conversation. Um, and the then the amount of money that's in the system um, sort of as it starts swirling around is when we begin to see we, we begin to actually experience inflation. Yeah, because, you know, if you have more dollars chasing the same products, same number of right. products and services, each dollar is valued less. And so prices have to go up to maintain the purchasing power of, of the whole transaction. So, yeah. So if I it, have it cash, so if I have cash today, today's yeah. the day to buy the thing I know I'm going to need, even if I don't need it right now, because the thing is going to cost more dollars and those dollars are actually going to be worth less if I wait to buy it later. So is that part of the stimulus in this is to get the cash off the sidelines and into major purchases? Um, it's part of, that's that's the root of the thinking. But what they're not doing is taking current cash and trying to move it around and, and get people buying. What they're saying is we're going to put another two trillion dollars of cash into the mm -hmm. economy and, and you can spend that. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is really serious stuff. What we're doing, I realize why they're trying to do it, and I don't disagree with the motive. But this is going to come back to um, to really hurt us in the long run, in my opinion. Uh, we've added four and a half trillion dollars of debt since March first of last year. Uh, now our, our current debt is sitting at something like 29 trillion. 6.1 of it is intergovernmental holdings. In other words, that debt is is debt that one government agency owes to another. Fine, mm. we owe ourselves, but we still owe 21.8 trillion to third parties. Mm. And um, that is eventually going to either have to be paid back or we're going to have to inflate our way out of it. And when we inflate our way out of it, assuming we do that, then the value of savings goes down. And the um, the ability to pay off debts becomes faster, but the ability to lend then just shoots through the floor uh, because you don't know if you're going to get any value out of that lending activity. And uh, it, it's, it's going to really harm our economy. We have a ticking time bomb in our national debt. And I've talked about this for the seven years I've been here at Faith Radio on and off. I keep saying our debt is a problem. Both parties are responsible. We keep voting these people into power. We keep voting for programs and services that create debt. We are the problem, and we have to stop doing this if we're going to survive as a country. Eventually, no institution can spend more than what it has forever and remain solvent. And this country is going to go bankrupt if we don't get a handle on our debt and start living within our means. It will happen. I don't know when it'll happen. Sorry to be a bummer, Bill, Wednesday here. <laughs> but, That's this okay. is, but this is where we're at. Yeah, and Christians should understand this. There's a debt. It is owed. It must be paid. Um, and there's no savior coming on this particular issue. Um, this is our responsibility. We have created this for ourselves, and we must figure out a way to work ourselves out of it. All right, Bill and I will be back in just a moment. Continuing my conversation with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Tons of great resources there. You should go check them out. Um, we are talking, Bill, about people returning not just to work but to workplaces, but it's likely to look very different um, after COVID restrictions are lifted. There are some companies that are already talking about what is being dubbed the hub and home model. Maybe, um, maybe talk a little bit about what your expectations are in terms of physical workspaces, people returning to physical workspaces, and just the amount of space that's going to be available on the market? Well, you know, there have been a couple of ahas here, one for employers and one for employees. The employers have said, we don't need all this space. And the employees have said, we kind of like working from home sometimes. We still like coming into the office, but we like working from home. And where I think people are settling is that they want to come into the office for the group meetings, the staff meetings, the the collaborative times, the uh, training and those kinds of things. But when they have to just be heads down getting their work done, they'd rather do it at home. And what companies are learning is that if they go to some kind of this hybrid model, which many, many companies are going to be going to over the next 12 to 24 months, um, they're finding that they need probably a third to a half of the physical footprint that they have today 
they need to rejigger their um, their cubicle uh, and office footprint to be something more of a kind of a what I call a hotel fashion where where you you just drop drop in grab a spot you work you meet with your people and you leave um that's where a lot of companies are headed um i don't know about you where where you're at uh, close to nashville there but for us here in minnesota i drive around and i see lots of large buildings with empty parking lots and mm -hmm. these companies are still doing fine yeah, and I think that the reuse conversation is going to be a really um, robust conversation and one that churches and other nonprofits, people in community should start thinking about now. Like there's going to be a lot of empty space. Uh, landlords are going to be very interested in getting what they can, um, getting somebody in there, getting a tenant in there. Uh, and so we ought to be thinking creatively right now about how we might move into those spaces and places and take advantage of um, locations that otherwise would have absolutely been off limits for most of us in terms of our work. You know, wouldn't it be interesting? Some of our, many of our churches have debt, right? Mm -hmm. uh, let's just say they've got, I'm just going to pull numbers out of the air here, five acres, and there's, you know, 600 people that go to the church, and they've got uh, $3 million of debt. Let's say they can sell that, become debt-free, have some cash, and go in and rent twice as much space over a 10-year period and uh, and do more ministry out of an old office building. Not old in terms of the physical old, but the reuse conversation, right? Mm -hmm. and, they, and they can do a lot more ministry because they have a different footprint that's larger and more conducive to uh, the unique ministries that I think churches are being called to. That's, that's one idea of how this reuse piece probably is going to be thought through by ministries. Yeah, and, and there's so many issues that churches face, um, particularly if they're in older buildings or older neighborhoods, um, because those office buildings have already resolved all of the all of the issues related to accessible bathrooms or accessible doorways or you know all of the requirements um, to meet city codes in terms of parking and on and on and on and on and on. So uh, it's really uh, I think an exciting potential conversation. For us to have going forward. And if you're a, a landlord and you're a Christian, wow, think about the ways in which you might um, you might fill some of that newly emptied or emptying space that you have on your hands, how you might offer some of it up um, for some use of a, of a ministry doing good in your own community. Uh, just a thought, just a thought there. Bill, as always, it's such a joy to talk with you. Um, and thank you for bringing us really good perspective on the debt and inflation. And then, you know, a hopeful look at not only the ways in which we're going to work in the future, but uh, the ways in which some of those workplaces might be used for ministry. Well, thanks for having me on, Carmen. It's good to talk with you. As always, that's Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. We got to take a break for Breakpoint. We'll be right back. When we touch on uh, an idea that has so many of you like, aha, and you are texting in all kinds of enthusiasm for the, hey, how might churches use, um, move into and use and utilize and make good on empty or emptying 
office spaces in your own communities uh, across the country. Um, we got all we got all kinds of input. I just love the way um, that you guys are jumping in on this. Uh, the office to condos, offices to assisted care, life care, charter schools, child care facilities. Uh, let's see. This person says, um, wouldn't it be amazing? Here we go. Jane says, wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be cool for churches of different denominations um, uh, or backgrounds to occupy a single building? They'd rub elbows more, perhaps do some ministry together before you know it. We'd have a more unified Christian church and witness in the world. Yes. Amen to that. She goes on to say they could share resources like business machines, administrative services, supplies. I would also say uh, child care um, and, and other kinds of ministries where, you know, you need a person sometimes, but you don't need a person every hour of every day. But if you had some shared um, folks doing that work, I, I'm hoping we're, we're inspiring some ideas here. Listener Jessica says, um, uh, let's see, blah, blah, blah. Let me roll back here. Um this is an important topic you're talking about with Bill. I think it should be a dedicated show. I think there are a lot of people that could be mobilized to do what you're talking about. Um, so if you got input and ideas on this, uh, hey, there's going to be an awful lot of empty office space. Um, you know, s- send me your your ideas, your thoughts. Um, people who are doing creative stuff across the country uh, or in your own community, you can always email me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. This seems to be an idea that has stimulated your thinking this morning. So hmm, maybe collectively we could get on it and make something happen. Wouldn't that be great? All right. Joe Rigney is waiting right now to talk with us. He is, among other things, the author of More Than a Battle, How to Experience Victory, Freedom, and Healing from Lust. For those of you who live in the Twin Cities, you already know Joe. Um, you know that he is a pastor, a seminary professor, a husband, and a dad. He is joining me today to talk about Uh, his book and his work. I'll describe it that way. More than a battle. We'll be right back. God's grace delivered us from fear, but how quickly we return. This is Max Licato. Grace told us we didn't have to spend our lives looking over our shoulders, but look at us glancing backward. Look at us with guilt on our consciences. Why are we so quick to revert back to our old ways, or as Paul candidly wrote, what a miserable man I am, who will save me from this body that brings me death? Simply stated, we are helpless to battle sin alone. Aren't we glad Paul answered his own question? I thank God for saving me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The same one who saved us first is there to save us still. Such is the message of grace. You are saved, not because of what you do, but because of what Christ did. And you are special because of whose you are. This is Max Lucado. All right, let me just go ahead and confess that I wish I had an opportunity to talk with uh, Joe Rigney for hours on end, um, but we're going to smush as much as we can into our conversation today. Uh, Dr. Joe Rigney, uh, you know him if you live in the Twin Cities as one of the preaching pastors at Cities Church. He's also the pastor there of Children and Families. If you are uh, a Bethlehem College and seminary person, you know him as a professor, assistant professor of theology and literature. You may well know him also as an author Um, He has written other books. Today, we're talking about his newest book, More Than a Battle, How to Experience Victory, Freedom, and Healing from Lust. Joe, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. 
Thanks, Carmen. Glad to be here. All right. I really would um, like prefer to just talk with you about like C.S. Lewis and all kinds of things Narnia. But instead, <laughs> um, let's talk about lust. OK, so yeah. that one seems those, like one of, a, a, one of those is a fun topic. One of those is not so fun. But we can talk about right? the not fun one for today. Yeah. Yeah. OK, <laughs> so let's talk about the reality that we're dealing with um, in our individual homes, in our marriages, in our families, in in our I mean, we, we need to deal with this. What is the reality of this issue in the culture today? Well, the, the reality is, is that while um, sexual sin and lust has been a problem for since Adam, right? Um, it's as old as dirt. Um, what's new is the unprecedented access that our technology provides. So, you know, in, in the ancient world, in the Victorian era, you've got to deal with, with prostitution and brothels and all that sort of stuff. But nowadays, everybody has a brothel in their pocket. And and so the, the accessibility, the anonymity, all of that creates, you know, this, this really potent mix um, that's leading to this kind of pornography pandemic and this sexual sin pandemic that we, we're facing in our culture and, and in the church. And uh, something that I've, I've uh, experienced in my own life as a young man, um, and I'm sure many of your listeners have as well, and, uh, and it's something that God has graciously delivered me from. And so I set out after 15 years of counseling and, and working through things with college students and, and couples and things like that um, to kind of get some of my thoughts down about how we can actually gain victory, freedom, and healing from, from this terrible, destructive uh, sin. All right, and I want to talk about those three experiential words, victory, freedom, and healing, because I think that that is a critical part of, of this conversation and one that you just beautifully unpack in the book. And I want to tell people early in our conversation today, um, I have copies of this book uh, to give away. And um, and I really would, you know, thank you to our friends at B&H Publishing for those. Um, I really do want you to hear me. If if lust is the issue, is the addiction, is the torment in your life, in your home, in your marriage, um, this is the book that I want you to ask for today. Um, so all you do is you text the word book to 877-933-2484. And let me just go ahead and say, if this is not a pressing issue in your life, then you need to resist the temptation to text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, because I really want to give these books today to people um, who are going to be absolutely helped and liberated, brought to victory, freedom, and healing from lust. Uh, the book is More Than a Battle. Um, Joe, uh, what my, my preference would be here, it would be to jump to chapter 13, because I feel like um, if we walk through your final exhortation, um, we get to we get to give people a glimpse into the entirety of what you're talking about in the book. So could we do that? That's absolutely great. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. All right. Um, so let's let's start where you start, which is this is really all about walking by the spirit. That's right. So walking by the Spirit is this amazing uh, exhortation that Paul gives in, in the book of Galatians. He says, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not gratify the desires of the flesh. And he goes on to say, that for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the spirits are against the flesh, and they're at war with one another, and you don't do what you want. And I remember for years thinking that that was sort of this amazing promise, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires, followed by this realistic walk back. Like, yeah, but you kind of really will. You'll be frustrated. It'll be hard. Um, but but in seminary, actually, yet studying that passage more closely, I realized it's actually the reverse. It's, it's that as Christians, we wake up every day in the middle of a war, 
with fleshly desires on one side and spiritual desires, desires prompted by the Holy Spirit on the other, and, and we're frustrated there, and we need to actually choose sides. And choosing sides means I'm going to walk by the Spirit. And if we do that, the promise of God is He will deliver us from gratifying our sinful desires. It doesn't mean the desires necessarily go away. We still may be tempted. We still may feel the pull of sin because the desires are there. But we won't indulge, gratify, complete those desires. And so that, meant, that set me on a journey to try to figure out, well, what in the world does it mean to walk by the Spirit? And so that's sort of the banner that flies over all of what I'm trying to do is all of our efforts will be in vain uh, to, to resist sexual temptation, to resist lust, if we're not walking by the Spirit. And we talk about um, walking by the Spirit. We're also just not talking about walking all by ourselves with the Spirit. You place a really high premium on the gospel presence of a wise mentor. Absolutely. This is this was, I think, one of the this was the, the turning point, I think, in my own struggle um, as you know, right, right before I got married 16 years ago. And, and it was the presence of wise, faithful, godly pastors and mentors in my life who were able to not just who were able to bring their own gospel presence. That's my term. They, they didn't call it that. That's my term for it after the fact of a kind of a compassionate stability. So when I would confess things to them, they weren't shaken by it. They, they leaned in. They said, I know. I understand. I'm, I'm for you. I'm with you because God is for you and with you. And they leaned in, and that just dialed and everything down a whole bunch. The guilt and the shame, it was like, here's a place I can bring that and find healing and hope. And it, but then the other thing they did was they didn't then say, and that's, that's good enough. We'll just leave you here. Um, they said, well, now let's figure out how to be wise and strategic about how to actually resist this thing. What, what changes do we need to make? What, what, what do we need to put in place in order to kill this sin? Because the Bible calls us to kill it, put it to death, cut off your hand, all of those sort of violent, that violent language the Bible gives us for dealing with sin. They really wanted to press on that. And so that combination of that compassion on the one hand, but that hostility to my sin was a game changer for me. And so as I say in the book, you know, um, personal holiness is a community project. We, we don't walk this, we don't walk by the Spirit alone. We walk with others. And so in the book, I try to it's written both for men who struggle, and it's also written for the men who are trying to help them. So it, it's, it's trying to do two things and, and create communities of holiness that seek to walk by the Spirit, that create an environment that is safe for sinners. I needed that as a young man. I needed a place where I could feel like I can bring this and people aren't going to recoil and run away from me. But safe for sinners, but not safe for sin, because we want to put our sin to death. All right, I am talking with Joe Rigney. We're talking today about his brand new book, More Than a Battle, How to Experience Victory, Freedom, and Healing from Lust. Uh, yes, we do have copies to give away today. If you'd like to enter the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Joe and I will be right back. All right, I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. Joe Rigney. We're talking about his new book, More Than a Battle, How to Experience Victory, Freedom, and Healing from Lust. Um, I'm going to read a sentence here out of chapter 13. As we seek to untangle the mess sin has made, we recognize there are layers to this fight. Um, Talk about that. Well, one of the things um, that became evident, this is what the wise mentors that I had helped helped me to see, was that whereas for years as a 
you know, teenager, I thought that my main struggle was with lust and sexual sin. But actually underneath that were a whole host of other issues in my life from, from other sins to broken, brokenness, broken relationships, unmet needs, legitimate desires, all sorts of things that were under there that were going unaddressed because I was fixated on this one major, what I felt like was the one major sin in my life. It's a, so lust is never isolated. It's always intertwined with these other sins and struggles. And so as, a, as, as I walk through in the book, um, we need to think of this as a, a wider war, um, as a deeper war, as a more subtle war, that there's um, relate, formative years of childhood, uh, r- relationships with parents and peers and others that may be feeding into, into the sin, and that if those don't get addressed, if you, if you only focus on this is a, a simple desire for sexual release or something like that, um, then you'll miss the deep emotional dimensions of it. Um, the deep uh, and then and the good desires that maybe are under there that are being corrupted and channeled in, in unhealthy and ungodly ways. And so part of what I try to do is set forth, well, what, what is the good that's underneath this sin that, and where is it designed to go? And so that's where we talk about what men are for and what women are for and what marriage is and what sex is for within marriage to see that God really has designed this beautiful gift called sexual intimacy. And he means for it to be in the context of a covenanted marriage and that it's and that sexuality is the way that, that husband and wife bind themselves together and that then pornography and lust are basically attempts to get that that thrill of the pleasure without that covenantal bond. And so to, to try to redirect those desires in the proper direction is fundamental to, uh, to healing and gaining victory over, over the sin. So there's layers here involved. And part of what I'm trying to do is walk through each of those different layers so that lust doesn't steal the headlines, because um, lust is going to steal the headlines, but something else is probably funding that newspaper. Other things are under there, envy, rivalry, desire for approval, um, emotional needs, all of those things are under there. We need to address those. Otherwise, we'll never get victory over lust. Yeah. And even just, you know, sort of the most basic misunderstanding of, uh, of, of who is a man and who is a woman and what that relationship is all about and how God designed it. I mean, there's a lot, there are so many layers and you deal with them so effectively. Um, uh, again, I do have copies of this book to give away today. Our friends at B&H Publishing have provided us a handful. If this is, uh, this is the book that you've been waiting for, More Than a Battle, How to Experience Victory, Freedom, and Healing from Lust, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're going to actually get like genuine, real, practical help. The book is excellent. Um, uh, I love this paragraph. We recognize progress in the fight with lust as we begin to resist sin at an earlier stage of temptation. Sin is subtle, and where we choose to fight is where the battle will be fought. Um, You go on there to talk about engaging at the level of the imagination, repenting of idle fantasies, cultivating a healthy enjoyment of the things of the earth, and redirecting our imagination toward things that are good, true, and beautiful. You actually talk here about good pretending. Um, Why don't you tell people what that is? Yeah, so the imagination is really, really key, and and learning to fight at the level of imagination, at the the level of of what you indulge, as opposed to letting your imagination run uh, in in ungodly ruts um, and fantasizing and things like that. But that's the those are the little sins that over time will build up and and create big sins. But then the question is, okay, if I'm not going to use my imagination for those sinful purposes, what's my imagination for? And one of the things, this is good pretending is a term I got from C.S. Lewis. Um, and it's his way of talking about one of the ways that we pursue sanctification. And it's basically something like this. Um, 
when Paul says, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God, he's, he's, asked, he's engaging our imaginations. He's saying, imagine um, that you were full of the Holy Spirit. Imagine that you, you personally, um, were full of the love of God, that you knew that God was for you, that he loved you, that he was 100% on your side. And because of what Jesus has done, if, if you really believed that and you were full of that life and that love, what would you do? What would you, how would you live? What would, what would you do next? And then once you've answered that question, well, if, if, if I was that person, which I don't feel like I am right now, if I was that person, then this is what I would do. And then Lewis says, you should pray and then go do it. And so you basically pretend your way into reality. It's what children do, right? When children are playing a house, when, when little girls get, and little boys get together and they, they, they play house, what are they doing? They're good pretending. They're, they're pretending their way into reality. And so I'm, I'm trying to encourage um, God has saved you. He's declared what you are. Now live into that, lean into that, imagining what you would do if you were full of Jesus, ask for God's help, and then go do what you would do if you were full of Jesus. Uh, one of the things you're going to experience in More Than a Battle um, is the description of lust as a battle, but also as an enslaving addiction and a deep brokenness. And then Joe is going to show you um, how through the gospel, the Holy Spirit does give victory, freedom, and healing. Um, those are very powerful terms, and they can be uh, powerful experiences. Um, you deal with the different stages of life. I really appreciated this particular approach, the the approach that you take a word to young men, single dating and engaged, a word to married men, the watchdog and the caged animal, a word uh, to married men, nuisance, lust, and marital intimacy. There's so much in here, Joe. We don't have time to talk about all of it today. So let's jump to this. Um, Walking by the Spirit, you know, sounds pretty uh, pie in the sky, uh, but you're putting feet to this. I mean, you're you're talking about walking by the Spirit um, in reality, day to day, moment by moment, and you're also talking about it being worthy. Talk about the worthiness of walking by the Spirit. Well, I think that a lot of guys, when they when they run into this sin, because it's so pervasive and so persistent, and everybody they, kn- they know is struggling in more or less the same way. This was my experience in my accountability groups in high school. Um, it was just big puddles of sin. All of us were dealing with the same thing, and none of us were getting getting anywhere. And so it was very discouraging. And so it began to feel like, well, why even bother? Why even do this? Is it worth it? Is, is, this, is it worth resisting? And one of the things that um, God's grace in my life and uh, wise mentors and the scriptures and good books have, have helped me to see is that it is so worth it that holiness is beautiful and that the joy that you have and the freedom that you have when you're not enslaved to a sin like this. I mean, it, it's an amazing thing if you when you look into even the secular literature on pornography use, the way that sin basically weaponizes our bodies and, and, it, and it enslaves us. The addictive nature of this is so tragic, and it's tragic when young men you know, even now, 9, 10, 11 years old are, are getting pulled into the world of pornography, and they're rewiring their brains, and they're, and they're training their bodies to be their enemies, and it's tragic. But on the other side of that, the, the grace of God is able to untrain those bodies, and to, to we can present our members as instruments of righteousness, not instruments of sin. And so it, it is a lifelong fight. Uh, it is something that it's not going to be easy but it's worth it. And so there's a way in which um, part of what I'm trying to give to guys in this book is, is a kind of hopefulness that, yes, it's hard. Yes, you may be stuck right now. Yes, your marriage may be falling apart because of the way that this sin has wrecked it. 
but there's hope. It doesn't have to stay that way. God is gracious, and he wants your good. He wants the good of your marriage. He wants the good of your soul, the good of your children, and and he's with you and able to deliver you from this thing. And so don't take those little sins lightly. They're not they're not light. Little sins, one of the things I say is those who fall into big sin never, never fall far. There's usually been lots of little sins along the way. And so we've got to learn to fight those little sins and take those thoughts captive. Uh, we've got we've to learn to engage at the level of the heart. Like, what's the heart after when it's pursuing sexual sin? Where, where are these desires designed to go? These are all the questions that we really have to, to get into, and we need to do it together. And that if we do, I believe God will be gracious, and he will fundamentally transform our churches, and then by the power of the gospel, hopefully the world. Um, I hope you'll come back. Um, because you are um, you're talking, uh, first of all, you talk at a pace that I really enjoy, and so um, I, I want to engage with you again, but you're also um, talking about something that's really just critical. Um, the, the, the way listeners are engaging um, right now on our text line is pretty extraordinary, so I want to affirm you in that. Um, you guys can find Dr. Joe Rigney um, in a number of places. You can find him at Bethlehem College and Seminary. You can find him at citieschurch.com. Um, he is one of the pastors at Cities Church there in Minneapolis, um, and you can find him uh, at it. Well, you can find his new book, which is more than a battle: how to experience victory, freedom, and healing from lust. From our friends at B and H Publishing, um, Joe, thank you so very much for joining us today. What a what a pleasure! And I hope, I hope, I hope you'll come back. Love to. Thanks so much, Carmen. Absolutely. All right, we're gonna um, we're gonna actually take this to the end today um, because I ran over the last break because, well, frankly. Um, I felt like what uh, Joe was talking about was so important. If you want to enter the drawing for the copies of the book we're giving away today, More Than a Battle, text the word book, just the word book, to 877-933-2484. Have a great day. God bless. All right. We are the people of a God who calls us to love him first and foremost with all that we have and all that we are and all that we do. And then, in turn, to manifest that love of God in love of neighbor. So we invite you into this uh, really fun, hopeful neighborhood project. Also invite you to check out our Kindness Always initiative. You can do so at MyFaithRadio.com. And uh, and I want to invite you to, um, while you're there, prepare your faith story. Everybody has a story. Um, maybe we would be better at sharing our story if we were actually prepared to do so. So you can prepare and craft your testimony today at MyFaithRadio.com. That might better equip you for Winsome Wednesday. Might also better equip you to tell others, um, give the reason for the joy, for the hope that is in you. Right? That's what we're supposed to be prepared to do. All right. I've loved our time together today. Again, you can enter the drawing for the book combo we're giving away today by texting the word book to 877-933-2484. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.